think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it. The Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. There are relics that predate the universe itself. The Mind Stone is the fourth of the Infinity Stones to show up in the last few years. It's not a coincidence. Before creation itself, there were six singularities. Forged into infinity stones. Welcome to the Nerd Room MCU Retrospective Series, a 16-month look back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading into a weekend of release review of Avengers Infinity War. I'm Ronnie Rose Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. This week we're going to be discussing The Incredible Hulk, the second entry into the MCU, starring Edward Norton, Liv Tyler, Tim Roth, William Hurt, and directed by Louis Latier. The MCU's been a hot topic in the nerd world for the last few weeks. We had that massive Infinity War trailer dropping. We got to see some concept art from Thor Ragnarok, including Hulk in his Planet Hulk, his battle gear, his gladiatorial gear, some concept images from Black Panther. And we're starting to really see this universe explode here. We have a lot of movies to get through over the next 16 months. But they keep layering new things into this universe. And as we go back and explore these movies in a little more depth, my appreciation for these individual solo movies has grown almost exponentially, especially when it comes to The Incredible Hulk. This has been kind of the misfit of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of people didn't know if it tied in. We had a lot of character changes when it comes to the actors. The Hulk portrayal in itself has changed from movie to movie. It's more consistent now. I would say we have that definitive version now. But this movie, do you guys remember seeing it in theaters? Do you remember the hype behind this at all? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. And uh, I'm not going to drop any names here, but there's a, a comic book store that we all go to. And it has the very iconic Hulk statue. And mm. I remember that same statue being in the theater that I saw that. I saw this oh, movie. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I did see this in theater right away. I think the first weekend with my little brother and uh, my fiance. So it, it was a good time at the theater. Yeah, nice. Back nice. in uh, two thousand nine, eight. eight? Yes. Back in two thousand eight is a good yeah, time. This came out the same year as Iron Man. Yes, The Dark Knight and Hellboy Two: The Golden Army. So this kind of fell in between the cracks. I feel because. I don't remember this. Yes, yeah, I, I do remember this now because I remember this is when we're, there was whispers that were getting the assembly, the the assemble of the team of the Avengers. Yeah. So I do remember paying attention to this movie and listening to the Easter eggs and whatnot. And well, we all know at the end of the movie what happens, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, no, this movie didn't really interest me when it came out just because I saw Ang Lee's Hulk in theater and I was super excited for it. And then just massively disappointed. And then when this came out, I was just like, well, it's probably going to be more of the same. And I heard stuff that was a little bit better, but I was still just like, you know what? No, nah, it's all right. I'll just, I'll wait for it. And so I didn't actually see it until like last year. 
I was sick at home with uh, pneumonia, so I was just like, oh, what should I do? Like, oh, I'll catch up on my MCU universe. So I started a marathon, and I watched Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and then Iron Man 2. So on the same day, it was a pretty fun day for having pneumonia, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so um, I like to call this movie The Old Sweater because it's all loose threads that don't go anywhere. <laughs> well, we're going to get into a lot of this. <laughs> I'm going to be probably the most apologetic for this movie <laughs> as we go through this review. I think this movie really benefits from repeat viewing as well as the content that they've created around this universe. And this is where we're going to differ, I think, between all three of us, because we have varying levels of commitment into this universe when it comes to absorbing the content. Me, I would consider myself fully in. Sanjay on the periphery, and Troy, you're somewhere in between. In between, yeah. It's like a video game level. Troy's or uh, Tim's expert, Troy's medium, and I'm beginner. <laughs> <laughs> because this movie... A lot of people are confused to us where it sits as far as the timeline, as far as its relationship to previous iterations of the Hulk. And if you dive into the content that surrounds this movie, they have made a real effort to try to make sure that this is tied and ingrained within that cinematic universe. There's the prelude comic books, there's the Marvel one-shots, and there's a lot of off-handed drop references in various movies, but they're very subtle. We're going to go through a lot of those because I thought before getting into the bulk of the discussion with Incredible Hulk here, that we just take a brief look back at the history of Hulk in cinema, on TV, and in comic books. So the character of the Incredible Hulk first debuted in Incredible Hulk number one in 1962, and he was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So this character has a massive amount of history with Marvel. He's been around since the beginning. He's a founding member of the Avengers Okay. And Defenders too, I think, right? Defenders as well. And we all know the story of Bruce Banner being exposed to the gamma bomb and being irradiated (laughs) and turning into this giant green monster. Wasn't he gray at the Originally he was gray. He was originally gray, and that was a color thing with the comic books, the ability to print green and the ability to print gray. So it's funny because there's off-references in various different medias that do refer to that. There's a deleted scene in this, actually, that refers to that. Oh, really? Because I heard like a rumor floating around that in Age of Ultron... He was yep. supposed to be gray? Yeah, so he does, when he does the rampage, the mindless Hulk type thing, he was supposed yeah. to be gray. That would have been so cool. So there's actually a Funko Pop that's gray. Interesting. I'm kind of glad with, they with didn't do that, though, because when he goes gray, he's actually like more intelligent. He's actually like in control of yeah. what he's, what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So. Mr. Fix-It, I think he was called back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's been some crazy iterations yeah. of Hulk and comic books. Yeah. But he was a character that was clearly inspired by Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes. Yeah. And it's the anger, the stress that's put on that changes him into this mindless beast. But it's not only a mindless beast. Throughout the numerous iterations, he's been a brilliant scientist. He's been a brilliant monster. He's been a bouncer. Yeah. He's been a mindless rampaging goon so he's seen a lot of changes throughout the years and even into today's iteration where he is not even bruce banner yeah spoiler alert he's dead yeah bruce yeah. banner is no longer alive really it's news yeah. to me yeah. <laughs> you, you know i don't even know see this is why i gotta catch up on marvel i have no idea who any of these people are yeah <laughs> so and then in the early 2000s he did get some crossover titles planet hulk and world war hulk which we're seeing adapted right now into the thor ragnarok story And then stepping back into TV, we had a TV series that ran from 1977 to 81, five seasons of The Incredible Hulk, amounting to 82 episodes that was followed on by three straight-to-TV movies. Interesting. Yeah, I think I remember, I don't remember the movies, but I remember reading about them. There's like Hulk versus Thor, the death of Incredible Hulk, and Hulk gets married, Hulk gets divorced. (laughs) 
Hulk on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's Spider Man. Sorry, <laughs> and Superman. <laughs> so these three TV movies did see the the first appearance of Thor on TV. I saw the first appearance of Daredevil on TV as well in the Matt second Murdoch? movie. Yeah, Matt oh, Murdock. Okay. The Trial of Incredible Hulk. So even back wow, then... that's like something we would have made up. <laughs> that was next. Yeah. <laughs> well, even back then, the Hulk was building a cinematic universe to a degree. And the first big screen portrayal of Hulk came in 2003. It was the universally panned Ang Lee's Hulk. And I like this always referred to as the Ang Lee Hulk. It's yes. not just Hulk. It's always <laughs> Ang Lee Hulk. And this starred Eric Bana and Jennifer Conley, and it was produced by Universal. And it didn't do too terribly at the box office. It had a worldwide cumulative of $245 million and an opening weekend of $62 million, which is bigger than The Incredible Hulk's opening weekend in 2008. Interesting. I remember going to Universal Studios in uh, Orlando when the Hulk was coming out and then they were promoting that movie huge because Universal uh, Studios used to have like a Marvel Adventureland before right. Disney bought them. Yep. And so they had like a Hulk roller coaster and like everywhere you looked was Hulk everything. And it was supposed to be like the next big thing. But uh, fortunately, it never really materialized, did it? No, it was never really well received by anyone. The, the CG quickly became outdated. Oh, yeah, bad. He was humongous is inconsistent it was massively inconsistent the color was off and the problem with the story too is that they changed a lot of the origins they tweaked a lot of things they brought his dad they had the gamma dogs they had a lot of things that just didn't make sense that's horrible yeah Yeah. and the weather he's fighting the weather a couple times at the end like a galactus fart cloud or something (laughs) it's crazy what they did there and it's no wonder that they didn't want to continue on with this series because there's a lot of conjecture among fans among general populations as to where the hulk film actually sits relative to the rest of the mcu and we're here to lay down the official word on what it is because okay because i have no idea so you telling me will help me out because i always just assumed that it is the first mcu movie No. no 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 so the hulk is something completely different okay we are in reboot territory when it comes to the incredible hulk to get the director on board, as well as Edward Norton, they were told that it was a full reboot, new casting, new story, and it's not connected to Ang Lee's Hulk. When I watched the making of The Incredible Hulk, the director was very specific about that, about not making a sequel to The Hulk. And because they had established the MCU by this point with Iron Man, they knew they were building into something bigger. This still sits somewhat on the periphery, but they knew something was coming down. So it came down to reframing the incredible hulk in a new movie with new characters and a new storyline and driving forward with that so this film is in fact a reboot it has zero connection to the hulk okay. and funny fact is actually between the studios between universal and marvel marvel did want ruffalo first yep yeah, they did want ruffalo first yeah, the director Univ- actually wanted ruffalo yeah that's right really? universal fought for edward norton because he's the yeah. bigger name yeah. Then, yeah. which I, I i still do like edward norton yeah, as like bruce banner i mean the um, physique the acting ability yeah, I mean, uh, we'll get to this later yeah. on when we talk about it, but I have the quote that Marvel gave in the press release when they got rid of Edward Norton. Ooh, Ooh yeah, they're not going to be working together anytime soon. No. It's pretty cutting. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly will get into that. But you guys bring up an interesting point when it comes to Universal. So there's a lot of discussion in the past about where exactly do the rights to the Hulk film lie, and why haven't we got a follow-up to this movie? We've only seen Hulk 
in teen movies now. And the reason behind that is, and Mark Ruffalo shed a little bit of light on this in 2016. He said, as far as the Hulk movies are concerned, a standalone Hulk movie that is, Marvel really doesn't have the rights to that yet. That's still Universal's property. So there's that issue. Mm. So what this actually really comes down to is that Universal owned the distribution rights to Incredible Hulk, where Marvel got back the production rights to The Incredible Hulk in 2005 when Universal didn't move forward immediately with a sequel to Ang Lee's Hulk. Okay. The film production license to Incredible Hulk gives Marvel the right to use the character and the intellectual property associated with it. So his nemesis, the, the characters that do surround The Incredible Hulk in the movies, General Ross, Betty Ross, all these type of characters. The distribution rights, though, are something completely different. So this is a company's right to determine release dates, to put it out into theaters, and there's a lot of money associated with that, and it's quite expensive to do so. So when Marvel got back the film production rights for the Hulk, they did not get back the distribution rights. So that still sits over at Universal. And Universal has no interest in selling that back to Disney, and it's an open-ended contract. When you look at what we talked about last week with Paramount, they were distributing the first six films in the MCU. That contract had an end to it. This one doesn't. Ooh, much like uh, Namor, right? Because Universal yeah, as well, something right? like that. So yeah. the contract oh, really? structuring is different. But when you look back at X-Men, Fox owns film production and the film distribution rights to that. Sony owns the film production and distribution rights to Spider-Man. It's probably now more a, a production sharing contract, yeah. more than yeah. anything with Spider-Man. But that's an example of a company that owns outright that, where this is still somewhat shared. The, the funny thing with that, though, um, kind of a loophole, is that Marvel still owns the TV rights. Yeah. So if they really wanted to, I don't know if this could work. If they want to, like you could, like you could do a Namor. TV series, which is yeah. supposedly a rumor right now. Yeah, Spider-Man that. TV yeah. series. Yeah. Spider-Man. I don't well, think you do, do yeah. X-Men, though. Well, Fox did have Legion, to ask permission right? to do yeah. Legion. Yeah, off they, from Marvel. So they own the TV rights as yeah. well. I think a lot of those came back, and they kept a lot of the film rights. That's right. So, oh, okay. But basically what all that means is that Disney's not going to make a movie that Universal is going to distribute. So right now, that means that we're not going to get a solo Hulk movie anytime soon. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Yes. Yeah. I think he works much better in a team setting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at the uh, box office numbers for this one and then the previous one, I don't think it would make money, to be honest with you. I think people would just be like, well... Especially the CG going on, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it would make more sense to keep him solo... Or not solo, uh, keep him on a team. Yeah, I yeah. think he's going to work really well in Thor Ragnarok. Yes. And when you're looking at the box office numbers, this is the lowest grossing MCU film when you compare it to everything, both on a domestic, worldwide, and opening weekend totals. Yikes. So this scored $134 million domestically and opened to $55 million in its opening weekend. So less than the Hulk, and that's even less than Ant-Man. Wow. So Ant-Man benefits from being established in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but Hulk had that recognition. It had you know the TV series, it had previous films, and so Hulk is someone that you ask on the street, do you know who the Incredible Hulk is? Most people know who this character is. Ant-Man... Maybe more so now, but prior to the movie, not a chance. So yeah. this this character has been around for a long time, for the last 40, 50 years in comic books and for the last 40 years in TV and film. Wow. Yeah, I don't think this movie made money because the uh, budget was $150 million, 
So you factor in marketing costs. It's like and, double. They may yeah. have they may have broke even on this at best. At best, uh, best case scenario, maybe like some merchandise. But I don't even remember any merchandise for this film. No, there's probably not too much. Again, the merchandising train wasn't going the same way that it is now with relation to the movies. A lot of comic book iterations of figures were out there, mm-hmm. but movie still wasn't huge. Like you had the Batman stuff, but these are smaller movies. These aren't Batman scale movies. So yeah. we don't have a figure kicking around of Edward Norton or anything like that. No. I'm not sure there might be a few action figures yeah. out there. There's a video game because I know Sega had a yeah. deal with Iron Man, Thor, and Incredible Hulk. And there's a horrible GTA style <laughs> sandbox game. Horrible game. I remember though I had Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the first one. Oh, that's and awesome. You, you couldn't get the Hulk because his rights were owned someplace else. Like Activision owned it. Actually, they did, but you did get um, the DLC. So later on, you yeah. got the DLC to get Venom and Hulk. Yeah, yeah. I think in uh, number two, you could get Hulk. Hulk right was away. like a player that, or a character that you had to like collect some stuff and then you got him. I think so, yeah. And then the DLC had like Juggernaut, Carnage, Magneto. But then Deadpool, those right, I think. Yeah, Deadpool, yeah. but then those rights ran out. I mean, yeah. so confusing, Marvel. Just use it in one house. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, Spreading they, yourself they, they make all that money off the merchandise. Like, off these yeah. Marvel Legends that I see in front of me right now and the selects going on. <laughs> yeah. But it makes it confusing for average Joe Sanjay out there. I would like to get my hands on a couple, you know, X-Men Apocalypse figures if, if they had the rights. I hate that movie, but I would like to get the figures. If Absolutely. They could do it. Marvel yep. Legends and X-Men? I mean, come on. If you're listening, they did give you an X Men wave. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did <laughs> something, something from the movies. I mean, when's the? I don't know. When's the last time we got an X Men figure? Uh, two weeks ago. From the movies. From the movies. They did actually have the old, or not the old man. They did have the Logan uh, Marvel Select. Yeah, that's super hard to get. Yeah, from the. There, I think there origin. might have been a hot toy, maybe. And there maybe, is, yeah. I no. say with Deadpool, we get yeah. the hot toy Deadpool. Yeah, there's a lot of Deadpool merch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for yeah, sure, so, yeah. yeah. Not a lot of Hulk stuff. No, but we digress a bit. So with this movie, it's it's firmly established within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, make no mistake about that. It is ingrained in this universe. But one of the things that I'd like to discuss here before we get into the bulk of this discussion is where does this movie sit in the MCU timeline? And I turned to the Art of the Avengers book, which has a very nice timeline set out in it. And this is our, our canonical, our Marvel Studios approved timeline here. So... Did you guys know that The Incredible Hulk takes place at the same time as Iron Man 2 and Thor? I do. No. I do know. I didn't know about Thor, but I do know Iron Man 2 after watching it. Because when Tony comes in at the end, yeah. and I was like, well, he kind of has his shit together. So I was like, yeah, this would have to be like during Iron Man 2. Or just yeah. after. Yeah. Wow, no, I had no idea. I thought it took place like... Right after 1? Right Man after 1. Iron Man 1 and then in between Iron Man 1 and 2, like it got released. You're telling me this is not true? This is not true. So Marvel okay. uses the I am Iron Man as their pivot point in the universe, the starting point of the universe, and everything is based off that. It's like the Battle of Yavin in Star Wars. Ah, nice. So it's exactly of like course, that. Of course, the Battle of Yavin. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's that again? <laughs> So, yeah, it all, it all takes place all at the same time. There's a nice prelude comic book to Avengers called Fury's Big Week, which chronicles all of this happening at the same time. <laughs> and when you look in the background of various things, you can make that assumption that things are going on in reference to Thor, Incredible Hulk, and Iron Man 2, all occurring in and around the same time. It's that they're actually within the same week. 
Imagine really? being down an to average... the days. Okay, I gotta watch the story again. That's cool. Yeah, imagine yeah. being an average Joe in like uh, Vancouver or someplace, and you're just like, so in a span of a week, we got a Norse god and a man that can transform into a giant green monster. Yeah, and all coming to fly. us. Yeah. yeah, this was this was Fury's dilemma at the time yeah. in the prelude comic book. It's called Fury's Big Week. Go check it out. It's pretty cool. That's it ties awesome. a lot of things together, including some of the loose threads that you talked about here, Sanjay. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get that old sweater back and running, aren't yeah. we? <laughs> So we've established our timeline here, a bit of history, and a bit of a foundation for the character, where the character has come from. I think it's time to get into this movie and see where we land as far as our reception of this movie (laughs) and where we think this could go and what this had led into as far as building into the cinematic universe. Because this movie doesn't benefit as much from having... Iron Man 2, Thor, all these other established characters and established universe. This is, again, one of the foundational pieces of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and maybe a shaky one at that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this film opens, I think, perfectly. We have what I love to see in opening credits is the origin story. Okay. There's not a lot of time wasted on retelling Bruce Banner's The Hulk's origin story in any sort of form in this movie. I think it does it really well here. And they use flashbacks throughout the movie to reflect back on and tell some of that story when it comes to the relationship with Betty, General Ross, and what exactly happened. What do you think about this type of storytelling? Did you feel that you lacked a true origin story in this film? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Just because um, we had Ang Lee's Hulk, and then for them not to show me the origin... For this whole time, I thought the two movies were connected. It would have been nice for them to show an origin because uh, truth, true fact, uh, well, maybe not true fact, alternative fact, I don't know. Uh, I don't think Hulk's origin is that well known that um, we can get away without showing it. You know, Spider-Man, we don't have to see that again. Superman, Batman, we've all seen it. But Hulk's, you don't, I mean, especially because in Ang Lee's Hulk, they changed it. So it would have been nice because, like, I don't think they did a well enough job explaining how Bruce Banner got his powers. You know, there's like some throwaway lines of him working on the Super Soldier Serum. Yeah. But you got to remember, this is like the second film in the MCU. So Captain America hasn't happened yet. So like, you know, we're going back rewatching this with the knowledge of Captain America. But if you're just like a Joe average going moviegoer and they're like Super Soldier Serum, you'd be like, what the hell is that? Like, I have no idea what this is. And then he's working with some gamma rays and then he tells them, that he's not working on the super soldier serum or that he's working on gamma rays. I can't even remember, but he like lied to him and then he tested it on himself. Like I was, I was confused. I'm not going to lie. Like I was confused about his origin. I really think they should have went back and told it just because, you know, it would have really reestablished that this was not Ang Lee's Hulk. And this was something completely different. Yeah. I, I kind of hear what you're saying, but I actually do like how they handle it. Well, but yeah, I like the idea of what they did. I do like that. You know, they kind of skipped steps and you know gave us the origin that crawl kind of but i wish they kind of gave us more of that origin you know it's pretty pretty choppy how you get the origin Mm -hmm. uh, explained but i do prefer what they did because i felt pretty clear maybe because i'm like i'm into the comics and all that stuff so i was pretty aware of like where this took place i knew that the last one was a reboot the ang lee's yeah um yeah but i do appreciate just kind of coming up in the crawl and yeah it it worked for me i just kind of wish they 
kind of give us a little more dialogue between those scenes of what's going on to like flesh it out a little bit more so yeah i yeah. think it could have well, benefited they do a lot more exposition in this movie explaining yeah. what happened rather yeah. than showing so maybe you need a little bit more of the science of gamma ray fighter rays the super soldier serum yeah. but you do get that contextually later on in the universe i know this is about a single movie but we're also doing a retrospective here on a whole universe so we are benefiting from the hindsight and going back and watching these films, which, again, it doesn't really shower the film with praise when it says that you need to go watch other movies and bring in other content. Mm-hmm. But I think because it is constructed that way, it does benefit from that later on down the road. And I'm all about, and I said this in our Iron Man review, swift and tight storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't just spend a ton of time on a character trying to figure out exactly where he fits in as far as the science goes, as far as his origin. What you need to know here is some sort of science experiment went awry and he turned into a big hulking monster and disappeared. Yeah. He's off the grid for five years. Yeah, because they, they spent too much time last time doing that in the Ang Lee. They, they spent did. way too much time explaining that. They did. And the crux of the story is him trying to cure himself. Yeah. That's what the story boils yes. down to. Mm-hmm. He does not want to have what he considers a burden, this monster inside of him that he cannot control. Yeah. And I think you get most of that here in the first couple sequences. Yeah. Because as we go and visit him here in Brazil, we find out that's what he's been doing for the last five years. He's in contact with this Mr. Blue. Yeah. He is trying to find whether it's potions or whatever he's trying meditation, to do. Meditation. Yeah. He's trying to control this, but he's also trying to cure it. Yes. He's trying to find a way to get rid of this beast. Mm-hmm. And I think, as far as I'm concerned, I get that here in the first five minutes. Yeah. I understand what this movie is about. I understand that he does not want to accept this. And this is the journey that he does go on, right? That's right. It's a journey of acceptance throughout the entirety of the movie is that he has this burden. And it's about, what he says in the end, aiming this in the right direction, accepting who he is and what he is now. And that's the strength. You know, you bring that up. That's classic Hulk, you know, dealing with that inner demon battling mm-hmm. it but he's always trying to like, cure himself he he's never wants to cope with being the Hulk but he's always trying to fight it you know yeah. yeah. so I think this movie does such a great job of capturing like that classic iconic Hulk feel See, in that sense yeah no I totally get that but I'm just saying like with Iron Man like I think I preferred the way they handled it because they showed you his origin but they showed you Tony before he got the powers and then so you see him after he gets his suit you see that transformation of the character in this one, we don't see Bruce Banner as like a good citizen, a good scientist trying to do good for the world. We just see him turn into this Hulk and then him trying to cure it. There's no like character progression, I found, as opposed to like Iron Man. But they do do that when he's in Rio. He helps out the woman who's being harassed. Mm-hmm. He's helping his boss out. His boss is like, you're helping me all the time. Yeah. Maybe I should put you on the payroll. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're you too know, smart like, to be a laborer. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So they do make inferences to that. And I think they're trying to establish that yeah. in the character without going back. Because let's face it, Edward Norton, Bruce Banner, is no Robert Downey Jr. or Tony Stark. Do you really want to see 10 minutes of Norton meandering about? Yeah, they tried that in Fantastic Four in that day. I I, I just found that he was just this kind of emotional twerp. Like, I really don't like Norton in this role. Okay, Like, I I don't like how he portrays himself here. I always feel like he's so reserved and pulled back. Like, I'm a big fan of what Ruffalo does. Like, do you guys like Norton in this role? Like, as Bruce Banner, we'll separate him out from the Hulk here, but how do you feel about Norton's portrayal of Bruce Banner here in this opening sequence? Yeah, again, for me, I feel it's very it hits home with Hulk. I feel Bruce Banner and Hulk. That's that's how he's portrayed in the comics. At least that's how I've, how I've always read him. Going from indestructible Hulk to Incredible Hulk, and the last run that he had, 
he fits the role in the mantle more so for me, but I also feel like Ruffalo was fortunate to have a better director. Was it Joss Whedon? Yeah. He's, he's more, way more of a character director, so he's given Ruffalo more freedom to do that kind of stuff, whereas I feel like this director was a little more tight-lipped with, um, with Norton. But I still feel Norton's the better actor, and I, and, and I really do feel it's unfortunate that we don't get to see him with the Avengers, because I really think he could have struck gold with those guys. Yeah. I just yeah. don't see that. Like, yeah. Norman was given a ton of freedom, because the mm. reason he signed on to this movie... The creative rights, right? Yeah, he, yeah. they gave him a lot of freedom yeah. to yeah. tweak the script, change the yeah. character, yeah. and essentially design where Banner and the Hulk were going. Right. Well, yeah. and so he was changing things on the fly as he went. He, has a, mm. he is notorious for doing this on oh, his yeah. movies, and this is what got him booted from Avengers Yeah, I, I guess it comes off to what you prefer, because I think Ruffalo nails the role but he goes a little further from what we know from the comics like Edward Norton is close to the comics but Ruffalo has like a, a different feel it's a different take on the character I feel yeah. shouldn't uh, you know because he has a super soldier serum shouldn't he be like super jacked like Captain America like why does he still look kind of like small and See, it's, it's not the super soldier serum it's interesting because again gamma radiation and and like a lot of tropes in comic books it's a power of convenience right it does a certain <laughs> thing it's not really well explained like yeah. when you look at the abomination later on he is essentially more or less the same thing mm-hmm. but he's completely different not only visually but also in his mind in that and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit yeah. but you look at other characters that pop up in the hulk comic books they've all had more or less the same origin but they're all very different characters they're mm-hmm. not all these big hulking masses of muscle <laughs> yeah. yeah right and they're not all induced by anger so it comes down to trying to adapt the comic book as closely as possible yeah. like you're not going to get an explanation for everything and yeah, I, I just for me, Norton just doesn't do it for no. me. And I think yeah. when we get to the Hulk stages, when yeah. he actually hulks out, oh, there's yeah. too much Norton in there. There's too much Banner. Oh, like he feels okay. emotional to me. Really? He, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. We'll get yeah. yeah as, we, okay. as we go through this, and there's certain scenes in here where I see so much of Norton in Hulk that oh. I'm like, this just doesn't jive for me. Right. See, so. you brought up an interesting point, Tim, about him having creative control. Um, I don't know if you guys watched The Wire. Have you seen it? First season a little bit, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you don't know Omar, but Omar... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Omar, yeah. yeah. One of the most popular characters from The Wire. Great yeah. actor. He's like an extra in it for one scene. You just see him run out of the building, and yeah. that's it. And I was watching it. I was like, what the hell? Why is like one of those great actors just like a cutaway? And did he strike gold yet, though? Was he big? I mean, yeah, The Wire was so, going on So this was after The Wire came yeah. out, and so I was reading up about it, and Norton had this idea to include the scene mm-hmm. where... Um, Omar, I hate calling him Omar because I forget his <laughs> name. I think it's Michael Williams, uh, Michael K. Williams. But yeah. uh, so he comes out and he stands in between Hulk and Abomination, and he says, "Why are you guys fighting in Harlem?" And then Abomination says something, and then he steps aside and tells Hulk, "Go get him now," or something like, "Go fight him." Yeah. So they they film that scene, yeah, and then they cut it, and that's why he's still in the uh, movie, just oh, that one weird. scene. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I know Norton does get creative rights, but at the end of the day, still the director's going to have a lot of take. It's not yeah. like it's he's making every call mm-hmm. you know so it, i don't it, know it's it, a lot of that boils down to is that getting norton was a big deal for them yeah like he's not the type of guy that you'd think would fit into this or actually sign on to this he's coming off fairly big success oh yeah in the late 90s yeah, yeah fight yeah, club he's huge uh, american history x yeah so he had a, too. hit a lot of club big sandwich. movies <laughs> <laughs> but i remember even reading wizard comics back in the day everybody was always rooting for norton to yeah. play this character yeah it's, it's way better than uh than banna that made no sense to me yeah banna was yeah. too pretty like he's such a good looking guy that you're like no he wouldn't be the nerdy scientist and, and he's a bigger guy too yeah, you know? yeah. so 
I'm but... gonna. I think this is a good point or a good uh, point in our podcast to read what Kevin Feige. I think this is Kevin Feige or what Marvel put out in regards to um, Edward Norton coming back as Hulk for Avengers. Are you ready mm, for this? Yeah, ready. Straight from the lips of Marvel from eight years ago. <laughs> All right, guess how long ago was Avengers five? Yep. Five years ago. So it says we have made the decision to not bring Ed Norton back to portray the title role of Bruce Banner in the Avengers. Our decision is definitely not one based on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members. The Avengers demands players who thrive working as part of an ensemble, as evidenced by Robert, Chris H., Chris E., Sam Scarlett, and all of our other talented casts. We are looking to announce a name actor who who fulfills these requirements and is passionate about the iconic role in the coming weeks. Pretty telling statement there. (laughs) This, uh, yeah, and Norton, uh, his agent fired back saying, we had been in discussion, Um, Norton met with Josh Whedon, and they're just haggling over money. Um, That was their hang-up, and Marvel just dropped them. And uh, at the time, because Avengers hadn't come out yet, a lot of people were upset with MCU with this statement. Um, This was the second actor that they dropped because they got rid of Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. Uh, Who's the guy from Iron Man 2? Uh, the bad guy. Oh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. He had problems with Marvel. So, you know, Marvel, for all that they're doing right right now, the first couple steps, you know, it took them a while for them to find their groove. I mean, this yeah. if you go back and you uh, read some message boards, people were concerned about, you know, does MCU have a problem with directors? Do they have a problem with actors? Yeah. But we're not feeling it, right? I mean, Terrence Howard not being there, no one's crying. You know, Mickey Rourke, oh, looking no back, crying, like, looking back you know, now, like, yeah. eight, eight years or nine years, however long it's been, yeah. it worked out. But I oh, mean, yeah. for a while there, I mean, people were a little bit concerned about this renegade studio that no one had ever, you know, Well, they're of. chasing name brands, right? They're chasing Edward Norton for his name. They're chasing Terrence Howard for his well, name, and, right? And these first few movies needed that. Yeah. Because it's a brand new studio, they needed mm-hmm. actors that were name-worthy that yeah. were recognizable by the general population. Get butts in the seats. And yeah. once they got that established film universe this this name recognition in marvel studios they didn't need these guys anymore mm-hmm. and they went the way of a hemsworth and chris evans yeah. bringing him back into the fray and then they just continued to bring on new people new directors writers and all that and now they have people calling them so it's yeah. kind of reverse now so yeah. i think they made the right decision dropping norton here and I think as we go through this retrospective, I'll try to point out a few other things that I feel made the film weaker because of Norton's presence. But let's get back in here to a little bit of the plot. Banner finds himself working in this bottle plant. Pretty cool setting, pretty cool <laughs> stage. He's down in Rio Green here doing his too, thing. For some reason. How appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Green drinks. And it's the drop of blood here. So he slices himself while he's helping out his boss. And that eventually lands in Stanley's glass. <laughs> this is the worst Stanley cameo I've ever seen. Oh, in my okay. opinion, I thought it was horrible. I was like, <laughs> why is the owner of the uh, factory and all the other workers confused as to why he stopped it? He dropped a uh, like some blood on the bottle, and everyone's like, "Why are you stopping production?" <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What kind of safety standards is this?" It's a, a dilapidated Brazilian factory producing <laughs> some off soft drink. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to talk to Izzy about this, about the Brazilian (laughs) safety code of their factory workers. But it's this drop of blood and the eventual sickness that Stanley does get that tips off General Thetis Ross, Thunderbolt Ross, to the Hulk's whereabouts. He's been chasing the Hulk for five years now. 
And this character is played by William Hurt, who is, I think, fantastic in this movie. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a character that originally appeared in Incredible Hulk number one alongside of the Hulk. So this is another character who has been the arch nemesis of Hulk through the entirety of his comic book life. Mm -hmm. And this character eventually turns into the Red Hulk. Yes. That's right. He's father of the love interest in Betty Ross. So this character is thoroughly ingrained within this Incredible Hulk storyline. And his reemergence in Civil War was a welcomed appearance. I think that really tied this movie back into the cinematic universe, at least for the general moviegoer. Because the general moviegoer isn't going to the comic books, isn't going to the one-shots and all that, to see how they've tried to reintegrate this character and reintegrate this movie back into the cinematic universe. But did you guys like what General Ross was all about in this? Like, did you feel that he carried that weight of the General Ross in the comic books? Hands down, yeah, William Hurt killed it. He, again, coming off of uh, Jeff Bridges' performance in Iron Man 1, which I really liked, and if you haven't checked that out, go back to our first retrospective series, Iron Man 1. Um, keeping up with those guys, though, yeah, William Hurt killed it. He was he was great, and I'm so glad they brought him back in Civil War. He's a little bit of a you know mustache-twirling villain in this movie. <laughs> yeah, a little, a bit. little bit. Yeah, a little bit. He seems to bounce across this line of crazy, like too far into his work. Like yeah. He, he seems to have this real manipulative factor about him, and mm-hmm. you see him almost having that, yeah, that mustache-twirling yeah. grin when he eventually right. convinces Emil Blonsky <laughs> to suck up some of that super soldier serum. Yeah. Right? So he seems to be pushing this biotechnology to the nth degree. And willing to do anything about that. And sometimes with villains, you find yourself juggling, is he too crazy? Yeah. Is he crazy? Like it's I find that he does walk that very fine line. But yeah. because William Hurt is such a strong actor, yes. I think that pulls him back onto the right side of yes. this line. Yeah, and what a mustache he has. <laughs> yeah, it's Jeez. cute. Yeah. It's, it's all a lot about of the mustache. <laughs> but it does go away when he turns into the Red Hulk, which is Which weird. I never got. I never yeah. got that. Because remember, the, for the longest time, it was a mystery. Who was the Red Hulk? And you, you're yeah. like, it can't be Ross because he has a mustache. Yeah. No, well, you know. It was Ross. Yeah. yeah. I just like how they keep shooting him. And, like, the bullets aren't doing anything. And they're like, keep shooting him. Where's the guns? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's not going to help. So. <laughs> Maybe if we shoot him one more time, that'll be the one that finally gets the Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) So General Ross mobilizes a team, a team of aces, to go down and capture the Hulk. He considers the Hulk to be property of the U.S. military, and he wants what is inside of Banner to pull it out and recreate it and produce an army of super soldiers, as any evil man does. (laughs) It's like the Jurassic World. The guy wants dinosaurs in the army. (laughs) It makes sense. For the good of the country. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jurassic World is just so ridiculous. It is. It is pretty bad, yeah. yeah. One of the members that he does send down to Brazil to capture Banner here is Emil Blonsky, um, otherwise known as the Abomination. He has a really awkward name drop later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he becomes the main antagonist of this film. He is a retired or semi-retired soldier, a soldier at the end of the line here. So it's kind of appropriate that he fits into this jack me up with a little bit more super soldier serum. I want to chase this high of being a soldier. And so this is something that I really got from Tim Roth's portrayal of Emil Blonsky. This is another character, another actor that when you look at him in this role, you think to yourself, "Eh, does this really work? But I really like him in this movie, specifically before he starts to jack himself up with the steroids, with the super soldier serum. I feel these early first scenes where they're doing the chase sequence through the favelas in Brazil, he's really strong here. Yeah, I like it. He has an obsession almost over the Hulk there. He's really keen to get him. And I do like his first, um, I don't know, encounter with the super soldier serum where he he takes on the Hulk in that park. 
Yeah. I thought that was just fantastic. That was great. Um, yeah, Tim Roth. I think he's, he was kind of a big deal back then, too, when they shot this movie. Yeah. I can't remember what show he was in, but he was like a big actor to get at the time. So, again, yeah. they're chasing those names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought I thought he did an admirable job. I thought he did a good job acting. I just, I just didn't get the physique of him. Like, he was very, like, small in stature compared to General Ross and some of the other army guys. Like... I don't know, like, for this, like, badass army guy, like, not saying you can't be, like, smaller and badass because I'm super short and super badass, obviously. <laughs> and you take ass all the time. Yeah, of yeah, course. I, I, I see what you're saying, though, because there's a, there's a part of the movie he's like, hey, how old are you, 45? He's like, no, I'm 39. And you get a sense, okay, this guy's like a, a real combat kind of dude. So it's yeah. kind of like, well, why aren't you a little jacked up? But I think nowadays, if we were to do this movie again, he would be huge. This guy would have been in the gym and he would have come out, like, yeah. Ben Affleck size now, Yeah, right? Yeah, I think we've, I think, like, society, maybe not society, but comic book movies in general, they've gone that way where they're starting to look the part you look at yeah. christopher reeves for all the things that he looked like superman um henry cavill looks a lot more ripped and a lot bigger not necessarily saying he's doing a better job because i love christopher reeves but it just seems like batman even compared if you look at ben affleck and michael keaton yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's pretty George crazy yeah. yeah i don't know maybe just 300 effect Something yeah. something to that, but but when you look at the development of this character, because he spends quite a bit of time with his shirt off, and I don't think that's an accident. You look yeah. at his first injection of the, I think they're Vitarates that they put him in at start, which is very similar to Captain America. Okay, um, he's a skinny, older looking man, yeah. and and they're very keen about referencing that fact that he is older, he's past his prime, and he mm -hmm. wants to be back into those boots. Right, he's with the wisdom the that he has now, with wisdom that he has now. Yeah. yeah, so he's got kind of a flabby body, but as you go through this, and as you see the progression of the character, he becomes more and more jacked throughout the movie, and mm -hmm. I think that's trying to direct you visually into the fact that he's got something else inside of him because before he becomes the abomination he sits there with a six-pack mm -hmm. yeah so that's a big change in character so i right. think mm, that I might have been on that. purpose yeah uh, i'm not sure but that's the impression i got from the character it was trying to tell a bit of a story visually that this stuff is doing something and right. you see that directly referenced in the fact that he heals quicker yes and yeah. but i think there is a little something there because that's the first thing i agree that you notice is like well this these kind of older he's yeah. not really big Why or anything him? like that yeah yeah. Um, yeah that's interesting no i didn't even uh didn't even pull that together but no that makes sense yeah one thing i'm going to do throughout these few action sequences here so i i'm thinking as i'm watching the movie i like that the pulse monitor that they do have yes. on hulk like i think that helps with the energy of the movie you're getting closer and closer to the brink of transformation and so what i found myself doing from time to time was kind of checking my pulse here <laughs> am i enjoying the sequences the fight sequence the chase sequence here mm -hmm. At the start and where's my pulse level at am i at hulk level or am i sitting you know calmly meditating somewhere <laughs> and when it comes to this first sequence i really enjoyed the chase sequence here i thought norton's good physically i will mm -hmm. give you that he oh, is yeah. much better physically i think than ruffalo right uh, yeah when it comes to the portrayal of banner himself yeah. sitting there maybe different but this running sequence and i love always love the favela stuff you see it in fast and the furious you see it in all in these bond. yeah and bond yeah. and all yeah this is an appropriate place to do a really cool chase sequence yes yes and i found myself having a lot of fun here and when we get into this bottle plan this is when we get our first transformation of the hulk Yes. And it's really cool how they do it, I think, at the start. They they keep the Hulk in the shadows mm -hmm. once he transforms. It's kind of very horror-like almost. Yes. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I was going to point that out. And I didn't know at the start, because kind of back, I haven't watched this in, in quite a few years. I didn't know if they're doing that to try to hide some of the CG. <laughs> I think a bit of both, yeah. for sure. It's cheaper that way, right? In it's the like dark. the Jaws effect. Yeah, you a little bit. Show yeah. The monster, right? yeah, yeah, you yeah. just show the arm here, the arm yeah. there. But then we get this massive face shot. Yeah. 
And I remember the CG being a lot worse. Like, it's not oh, okay. great. Yeah. I think that out of all the Marvel movies, it has the CG that doesn't hold up the best. Yes. Yeah, um, for sure. But the the look of the Hulk here, we don't get a full look until a little bit later on in mm-hmm. the movie. Um, but I find him to be almost too lean. Okay, so that's funny. You see me, um, yeah, the CG is obviously way better now in Avengers and what yeah, have you. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, design of, of the Hulk, I actually prefer this one more really? so. Yeah, because going off of this, I, I started getting into the uh, Indestructible Hulk. And I, his physique is he's ripped. He's not like as chunky as Ruffalo's, whereas Ruffalo's kind of has like like some gorilla fat, almost yeah. you could say on him, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you what you're saying here. I, I do like the chase scene going on, and I, I do like how they're kind of hiding the Hulk, and then we get the big reveal yeah. of him coming at you. Um, I didn't like the goons, though. They, they had well, some the high goons, school they, they bullies? They were horrible. <laughs> like, they were horrible. How small is Rio <laughs> that he runns into the people bugging him at the bottom yeah, of the plant? Yeah. Pretty sure there's like 20 million people, and the girl that works at the plant was there, too, and yeah. he sees her undressing. They, they were just like three hyenas, you know, from yeah. the line, that just yeah. drove exactly. yeah. Ooh, yeah. Mufasa. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a bit contrived yeah. that yeah. he did run into them. And they're the ones that eventually bring that anger out in him. I think yes. the point of the characters, <laughs> I know I'm being somewhat apologetic yeah. here, but I think the point of the characters were that he had established a relationship with them, and that's what brought his anger to the surface. Yeah. The fact that he wasn't able to meditate that out, right. I think that's... But it's, yeah. I'm bridging things here. <laughs> I mean, they could have just done it during the day or something, and then he ran into the factory when everyone was still there, and then you could have had the same effect. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it would have yeah. been too contrived, but yeah. yeah, that was the one part for me. I was just like, really? Like, out of everyone in Rio? Uh. Like, I don't even run into you two in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, the, the CGI really didn't age well. In this no, movie. No, really, And I remember at the time when I saw it, I was like, whoa, yeah, this is pretty cool. But now looking back, Iron Man looks far superior yeah. now than, than I mean, uh, Hulk, I think. And again, to be somewhat apologetic <laughs> for it, it's, I think, a lot harder to do a human figure than it oh, is to do a sure. body. For sure. And the perfection that they've got to now is on another it's level. Yeah. Uh, but this is just another step in the evolution of the Hulk, I yes. would say. It's, yeah. it's one form, and it's a form that I don't particularly like. Yeah. But at the same time, this, this whole action sequence, more than just revealing the Hulk here, it was about showing his strength. Yes. And the big thing, I think, with this movie that I like, it's all about the Hulk scale. Yes. Because Ang Lee's Hulk did not do that well. Having a guy run around out in the desert with no frame of reference. <laughs> oh, man. So you weird. Have no idea how big he is. Yeah. And he chucks a tank like a million miles. Oh. Yeah. This this movie did a really good job framing the Hulk. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the director, I think, was really after that. Like, let's put him in a city. Let's put him in a bottling plant. Let's put him in familiar territory. So we have this frame of reference with normal human beings. We know how big the Hulk is. Right. And the scene also does show what he's capable of and the fact that he almost goes mindless. Yes. Because it's something that they struggle with throughout the movie, the consistency I find. Sometimes he's a little bit more aware and other times he's completely this blackout. rage monster. Yes. Yeah, blackout yeah. monster. Yeah. I agree. So with Bruce in Guatemala, he does eventually over a five or ten day period find himself back in the United States here. He is again seeking out a cure and he'd been conversing with this Mr. Blue, this mysterious Mr. Blue and he was trying to help him find a cure an antidote for what he's calling his ailment his illness and to do that 
Banner needs this data, the data, the original data from the experimentations that him and Betty Ross were doing. So he finds himself back at Culvert University, the university that he did work and turned himself into the Hulk at. And this is where we're introduced to Betty Ross and her boyfriend, Leonard. Yeah, it was Doc, Doc Samson. Doc Samson, yes. 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 Oh, interesting. Because he has okay. the green hair in the comics. Yes. Only. That's his you boy. You might know him from Earth's Mightiest Heroes. He yes. is there. He's a big jack dude with a long green hair. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Doc Samson. Yeah. This is Ty Burrell's yeah, character. That, that's Bruce Banner's dude. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of his allies sometimes, most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, he is also induced with gamma radiation to get superhuman strength. But isn't he a lot younger in the comics? Like, Yeah, he kind of... Yeah, he's, he's not... Younger. I think he's... Well, he's not. It doesn't look like Ty Burrell in the comics. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, if this guy were to transform, he'd be a completely different character. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the, <laughs> ever the intention was to get to Doc Samson, yeah. but it's a nice overall nod, I think, nod to there. the history of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Betty Ross here, Liv Tyler, interesting choice as far as I'm concerned for a character here. She did, in the late 90s, have Armageddon, yeah, and yeah. she is quite a popular actress. She was in Lord of the Rings in the early 2000s. That's right, and Strangers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and last time I talked a lot about the chemistry between Downey and Paltrow. Yeah. I felt it was really good. Did you guys feel that same chemistry between Betty, Liv Tyler, and Banner and Norton? Not a chance here. I felt like uh, throughout the movie, it was like Sam Raimi, Amazing Spider-Man, no, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 2 directing, where it's just, give me a scream, give me a scream, give me a scream. She was just screaming throughout the whole yeah. movie. Just drama after drama. I, I really, It actually took me out of the movie as I was watching her. I was like, God, I didn't remember her being this bad in the movie. She was horrible. <laughs> like, she was played purely the love interest. Yeah. Too. She did nothing else. And this, Marvel did struggle early on with this. It may be in and around Captain America with Peggy Carter when they really picked up yeah. on this. They got maybe even with Iron Man 2 with Black Widow and that. But this character here, more so than any character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is one that is a completely useless yeah, character. Throw away. And it's just a trope. Yeah, she's just there just to be Betty. Yeah. Just to, be Betty just to yeah. scream, like you said, the yeah. damsel in distress. She does nothing in this movie. Yeah. And I even find their chemistry, like you said, Troy, yeah. <laughs> I didn't buy any of no. it. No. These characters did not play well together. They did not jive. I never felt anything between them. Yeah. And this is supposed to be the character that really motivates the Hulk here. That's right. And where's the scientist in her? Like, I did not see that whatsoever throughout this movie. Like, Betty Ross is meant to be pretty much close to the level of Hulk or Bruce Banner. Yeah. yeah. Not seen it. This is another loose thread for me. I mean, so you have <laughs> Betty Ross, right? She gives up her family. She gives up, like, her career, her boyfriend. She gives up, like, everything just to, like, help out Bruce Banner. So you're supposed to feel like this, like, oh, they're, like, so in love. Like, yeah, you know. Soulmates. Like, yeah, they're soulmates. Like, you would not, you would never do that unless it was your one true love. Right. And now after Hulk comes back, he's part of the Avengers. Instead of going and being with Betty, he goes to play hide the zucchini with Black Widow. <laughs> Like, what's going on there? <laughs> That's a line from Age of Ultron, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, what's going on? Like, you know, talk about loose threads. Like, she's just dangling in the wind now? Yeah, I think, like, they could have even, if they want to put her back in future Avenger films, just recast her. Like, don't well, have she, her come back. If I were her, I wouldn't go back to Bruce Banner. He's out with Black Widow. I mean, where's my phone call? <laughs> you know, it's even worse than Thor and Jane Foster. Yeah. They never really yeah. established any, anything here. Like, they no. work together. That's it. Yeah. Like, I, you never... 
and maybe this is where maybe some of the origin story going into a bit more depth could establish that deeper connection between the two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, because I agree, it's not there. Yeah, it's I not never buy out. it at all. No. No. Well, they're trying to, you know, get down and dirty, but then he can't get his heart rate up, yeah. which <laughs> sucks for him. <laughs> and one of the things that we do see here in these in some of these early scenes and through, actually throughout the movie um, is what I originally thought was PTSD. Um, oh, these flashbacks yeah. that he get. Yeah. Oh, when he's like the Hulk and he sees them shooting at him and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't realize. I thought there was like just flashback moments and all that. But I think what it's doing is it's showing you that their brains are one and the same. He's seeing visions oh. of when he was Blackout Hulk. Okay. So I think it's trying to bridge that gap between the fact that you have Banner who never remembers anything. Yeah. And you have Hulk that doesn't remember Banner. It's trying to say that. Yes, these characters are one and the same. And these PTSD moments are actually moments when he's doing the crazy shit as Hulk. And I kind of like that yeah. once I grasped on to what I think they're trying to show us with these flashback scenes is that they're trying to develop a bit more of this Banner-Hulk interaction as one right. person, as mm-hmm. one being. Right, as opposed to Hulk being born with the Hulk inside of him. Yeah. You know, like they did with the Ang Lee thing. Which yeah. was... Oh, with all starfish? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, did he, is he part starfish? I, I didn't get that. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> and at the university here, this is where we get our, our second battle, our first daylight battle. So yes. this, again, similar to what they did with Iron Man, it was a lot of dark in the cave, and then boom, we're out in the daylight, right. showing off the CG. They do something very similar here. And this is another one of my pulse check moments yeah. this is one of the moments i'm sitting here did i like this fight right. out in the open with the crazy ass guys jumping in the cars and all this i'm for me i thought this battle was probably one of the better ones in the film yeah uh, i felt it really showed off his strength and it kind of showed off a bit more of the emotion of the hulk when he does protect betty from yes. the gunship mm-hmm. what are you guys thoughts of this battle did you enjoy this did you find yourself engaged with the Hulk fighting here? Yeah, no, I, I like this scene a lot. It's actually probably my favorite scene throughout the whole movie. Um, they actually do a good job because, you know, talking back before about um, CGI in the dark, you can kind of get away with it. It's a little easier to do. But they actually, you know, pull it off here in the daylight. Like, Hulk looked pretty good yeah, throughout this whole scene. Yeah, they really did. Um, it's really cool to see the Hulk take on, um, like, a small human figure as opposed to, like, a juggernaut, right? Yeah. It's really cool seeing him take on um, Tim Roth there. So that was cool. They really showed off a lot of his his strength and his powers and it it was good i really like the sonic cannons oh that's iconic right this movie nails on some of the iconic hulk stuff it does yeah Yeah, it really does so yeah i'm gonna have to agree with you guys i really like the fight as well uh up until the point when it ends and then just starts raining and it looks so bad like it's just like sunny and then all of a sudden just rain after i don't know if you guys caught that i was like what the hell who's running the rain machine here at least like gradually bring it in it's literally like okay go back if you guys are watching it or you guys are going to plan on watching it so you see it it's the fight with the the university it's like sunny daylight then boom rain as soon as it ends. <laughs> it's, called, it's called we've ran out of money and <laughs> yeah. they did a really great part though when uh tim roth comes up to hulk and he's like is that all you got and yeah. i'm just like hulk just give it to him and he yeah. does and yeah. he's just boom boots him that was cool breaks the guy's complete body right yeah. just done yeah and it's kind of similar to the loki when he, you see him in Avengers, and he just yeah. goes off on Loki. So it kind of reminded me when he's there and he's lying there with his hands all like strung up, like Doctor Strange, like he doesn't have any movement. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like why doesn't Doctor Strange take the Super Soldier Serum then? <laughs> right, like that would have saved like two hours of his life. I should be writing these things. <laughs> <laughs> 
They need so, like fanboys like us just to like fact check all this shit and be like, what are you doing? Like, no, in, in Hulk, you show that oh, this they can do. fix just, that. Just go on the internet. There's plenty of us out there. No, no, no. <laughs> Commenting. Oh, no. On the internet, fanboys never voice their opinion. They never say anything like just that. Just check our Twitter feeds. This <laughs> is yeah. nothing but beautiful conversation between three friends who just love comic books and movies. This is true. This is very true. <laughs> so after the Hulk saves Betty from her father, more or less. Yeah. He disappears with her into some wilderness park. Yeah. Yeah. Very King Kong-like. Yeah. Oh, so, good pull, yeah. yeah, you do get a little bit in there. Mm-hmm. But this is a scene I am not a fan of. They could have just scrapped this whole sequence. This, for me, is when it goes sideways. Yeah. This cave sequence is awful horrible yeah and he throws a rock at god well this is where i think you're seeing a lot of edward norton here the emotional part of it it's all of a sudden he's so enthralled with betty she can control him yeah he talks to her and he has these really down-to-earth emotional moments as the hulk yeah this makes no sense to me (laughs) doesn't he have those moments in age of ultron as this is with with scarlet joe he does I, i just find it's uh Hulk's a very hard character to write on screen because it's like you want to show the audience enough Hulk, but you don't want to show too much Hulk. You can't, sh- or you can't show too much Bruce Banner. So it's hard to show Hulk in that in that presence where he's emotional and vulnerable. Yeah. Right. But in Age of Ultron, Hulk doesn't sit down and have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. With Black Widow, that's true. He's does kind he of- though? No, he's kind of yeah. rambling about, and yeah, she touches she his kind hand of calms and down. calms him down. Yeah. Like I buy that seems to be something that's they've established, right? Yeah. Like she has done this before. This whole lullaby yes. thing. Mm-hmm. Like this is the Hulk's first interaction, real interaction with Betty. He seems to recognize her, mm-hmm. which is showing again that Bruce is coming through in the Hulk. Yeah. But man, like, why do they need this scene? Like, yeah. for me, from a writing perspective, the only reason this scene is in here is to put Bruce and Betty in the same place so that the following sequence can actually happen. You don't have right. Bruce running away, or sorry, Hulk running away to some random location, and then Betty having to go find him. So you're cutting yourself down. You're you're tightening up some of the writing. Yeah. I'm not saying that the content's good, but as far as putting characters in one place together. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but this is this is not needed. This makes no sense, mm-hmm. and this does not follow along with the Hulk storyline. Like, no. They've not established enough of the Hulk as being someone that's in tune with Banner to have this sit-down scene with her. Yeah, it's kind of like the director was watching uh, Peter Jackson's Kong. Yeah. There, right? yeah. <laughs> he so. should have climbed the Empire State Building. <laughs> Betty! Betty! <laughs> also, one thing in this cave sequence that really bothered me so she wakes up next to Bruce here, and she wakes up and she's shocked that he's in human form, yeah. <laughs> which implies that she fell asleep spooning the Hulk. <laughs> That's a little weird, right? Hulk was little spoon. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just doesn't fit together. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that she's shocked when he wakes up is that doesn't work. Maybe they did it. Maybe because, you know, he can get his heart rate up as the Hulk. Maybe she took advantage of Hulk. Hulk no likey. <laughs> no, Hulk did not smash. Stop it. Um, uh. <laughs> so one of the things with the MCU movies, and we talked about this a lot with Iron Man, was the built-in humor. This has become a trademark of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, and that was really kicked off with Downey and Favreau in Iron Man 1. This movie is completely 
not that. No, <laughs> no, no. I agree. None of the humor in this movie I find really lands. And I think it yeah. is hurt by that because some of the more serious moments aren't cut with a joke. Yeah. And I think, like, some people don't like that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That cave sequence could have used a joke of some mm-hmm. sort. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the humor is attempted when we do get Banner and Betty together in this sequence where they're going to find Mr. Blue. There's the purple pants, oh, yeah. which yeah. doesn't really land. Uh, it's so on the nose. There's yeah. the sex scene. Yeah. Eh, not really great. Yeah. There's the cab sequence where they have the yeah. crazy driver. Yeah. And there's a few drop lines in there. That is the only attempt at humor I find in yeah. this movie. And none of it works. And I think this movie really lacks that that humorous sense that we get from most Marvel films. Yeah. There's that one scene in the beginning that he kind of butchers it when he's trying to speak. Oh uh, yeah, I'm yeah. Do you don't like me if I'm hungry? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I thought that was, I was like, okay. Me, this yeah. this is their attempt, and then yeah. it just went, it just went flat for me. But I don't know. I don't. I don't need all my Marvel movies to be funny. If it works, cool. If you can pull it off, great. If not, just just give me a good a good movie. But you did know? you find that the film lacked the humor? Like, did you miss it? No, no, no you didn't. No, see, no, I missed yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. See, yeah. I see. I I like DC films, so I hate humor. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Well put. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, like I, I actually preferred this tone of like Hulk as opposed to like Thor: The Dark World or something like or Iron Man Three. Yeah, I don't need Norton cracking jokes here <laughs> yeah, and yeah, there. Yeah. But yeah. I did need some lightness brought, some levity to some of the scenes here. Right. And I think if the chemistry worked better between Liv Tyler and Norton, mm-hmm. I think some of those jokes could have landed better. But I didn't buy that they're having fun together. That they're trying to make jokes at the expense of one another or even at the expense of the older Hulk comics when referring to even the purple pants. Like, yeah. I like really dumb references, really obvious on-the-nose references to Marvel comics, and mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. This one was just so obvious. Like, I didn't like it. Yeah, I thought some of the jokes were just too cheesy, Yeah, um, and they didn't really land with me, but uh, in terms of the amount of jokes, I think they did a, quite a bit, like a pretty good amount. I wouldn't have added more jokes, even if they landed. I, you know, I think if they landed, we, it wouldn't be a discussion. But because they right. didn't land, it sticks out as being like unfunny. Yeah, and I mean, I guess they missed the opportunity of having uh, Doc Samson with with Banner. Maybe yeah. they could have had some kind of bantering going between the two because they were pretty close. But they were, I think, they avoided each other throughout the whole movie. Like they, they never, yeah, they really never get in that same room. Like Ty Burrell yeah. isn't the Ty Burrell that he is now. Like yeah. this is a character that from Modern Family that like yeah. that wasn't until the late 2000s exactly right? this was just him like getting that paycheck really exactly yeah. and I don't feel that Norton jived with anyone I, I, I felt everybody was kind of disjointed right. To, yeah. throughout the I, whole film even the, like Liv Taylor with 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 Samson was, was yeah. off her and the dad was off yeah. and he's a great actor I felt everybody's chemistry was all over the place the only chemistry I bought was Emil Blonsky and General Ross yes yeah that yes. was good yes. I got yes. that yes. one yeah, that completely. one made sense to me I felt like the, you know they're old army buddies yeah and General Ross there's something more there he's manipulating Emil Blonsky yeah because he wants something out of him that's but right I really felt that and I think that goes to the strength of William Hurt in this role right but those are the only two characters You're that right. I felt were in the same movie together yeah, completely yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, talk about humor, Mr. Blue. He was kind of like the humorous His character. Forced, yeah, forced humor, <laughs> failed attempt like, again at being someone. The the coin, the coin flip or whatever. Oh. I don't know. Like, oh, uh, come on, man. Uh, he, I was like, yeah. is this Two Face from Batman Forever or what? <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. Well, he's his mole man in Fantastic Four, right? The new one. 
That was, that was Mulman. Yeah, he's he's the, he's he's Mulman in Fantastic Four, the failed attempt at Mulman. Yeah. Did not even catch yeah. that in Fantastic Four. Yeah, really? he's, he's that guy that's always around in the background. Oh yeah, go back. The army. Don't guy? don't go back and watch that movie. <laughs> go back and watch that Own movie. Own it on yeah. Blu-ray. <laughs> Debating if I should buy the Steelbook or not. If it goes on sale for ten dollars, I'll buy it. Don't. Don't, but if don't, not, don't. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a completist, too. <laughs> so you mentioned Mr. Blue here, and this is the, the character that Betty and Bruce have gone to New York to seek out because he believes he has an antidote for Banner to get the Hulk out of him here, and he needs to induce an episode to try the antidote out on him and is later revealed to be Samuel Stern, who is another character from the comic books, a prominent character in the comic books he is also known as the leader and we get hints towards his origin and i agree with you the humor is extremely forced (laughs) all three of them in this room man it is just i feel like they're all talking to walls yeah 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 it's bad yeah i I, I thought it was a bummer when we uh got to reveal that he's like the leader or at least he's meant to be because i always got used to get the leader and sinestro mixed up back in the day because they both had huge foreheads one was green one was pink yeah, but um, yeah, it's just like that's gonna be the leader. That's that's scary because the leader was meant to be like you know Hulk's like big bad yeah. at least back in like the sixties, seventies, eighties, right? So that's a missed opportunity there, I believe. Yeah, another yeah. loose thread on that on that sweater. Yeah, <laughs> but, but see, that's the thing with the MCU. We still have these characters that could pop up. Like the leader, he's he's out there and uh, abomination or yeah. a bomb. Yeah, a bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's another abomination down yeah. the road. Yeah, <laughs> so. Loose thread. I'll tie it up for you here. Nice. All right, thank nice. you. Thank you, Grandma. This uh, this this character, this this arc of this character, this really tiny arc in this film, yeah. is wrapped up in Fury's Big Week, which is the prelude comic book to the Avengers. The leader is? Yeah, the leader is. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So Black Widow is present throughout the Culvert University battle. She's oh. kind of in the background. Not in the film, in the comic book. I was going to say, I don't remember seeing it. She's retconned into all of this. And she also does show up after the Abomination smashes out of here, after Stern changes Emil Blonsky into this hulking beast. She shows up and actually shoots Stern in the knee because he stands up and starts to go crazy about wanting to take over the world. And if if she comes with him, then they can rule together. So he starts to develop into this leader character, this not so much the green really? skin, big forehead, but his head starts to grow. She takes him into custody, and at the end of the prelude book, you do see him in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody in sort of a back-to-tank sort of thing. Oh, man. So does, he, does he look like the leader at this he's point? He's kind of got this bubbled head. He doesn't have, like, that green skin. Oh, must, like, oh <laughs> man. He's like the bad guy from Green Lantern? <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah. That's kind of what he looks like. Oh, okay. But they did tie that loose thread up, because I think a lot of this movie was about seeding things for the future and the fact that they never got a sequel doesn't allow you to tie up some of right. those those loose ends those loose narrative arcs that they've left there for something further down the road so he's just in a helicopter helicarrier somewhere like yeah he's in just a in a tank. tubes type thing yeah okay so do you guys like that in terms of you know this whole cinematic universe is something that we've never experienced before and marvel was kind of like the first one well i guess you could say like the monsters universe was like back in the day but like right. marvel's like the modern day like gold standard right now um do you do you like that where like you have to go in and read a prequel comic in order to get like tie up these loose threads or would you prefer these movies to be more standalone where you know 20 years down the road no one's going to remember i think in that prequel comic well tim will remember but (laughs) (laughs) no one else will remember like do you guys would you guys prefer that that marvel these movies be more standalone 
or is the fact that they're so connected what makes them special? And if they were more standalone, then they wouldn't be as special as they are. Yeah, like, I think a movie needs to stand on its own two yeah. feet. Like, I think it just can't rely on everything that came before it and yeah. everything that came after it. That's where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really suffered in its first season. It just relied on the movies. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't very good. Yeah. And I think if this movie didn't stand on its own two feet, I'd be happy to call that out. Yeah. But... There are missteps in here. I will give you that. And they tied up those loose threads with prelude comics, with tie-in books, with other Marvel one-shots and all that. But I think that's the benefit of having this universe is that you can go back and revisit things, retcon things. Is it the best way to tell a story? Maybe not for the general population. For, for me, myself, I'm going to go seek out every little bit of this universe I can. And the fact that they've had enough intuition and enough want and need to go back and tie up these loose threads they recognized as producers as a company as writers and directors that they were there they're doing these type of things for the fans and it's up to the individual how deep you want to get into this universe whether or not you go and chase that things does it bother you that they never wrapped up the leader as a comic book fan probably but as the general population goes, it's just going to be a throwaway character that no one ever thinks about again. No one thinks about the fact that Samuel Stern, the leader, was teased in this movie but never really comes to fruition no. anywhere. Keeps no. me up all night. I always say, <laughs> if only the leader would get a spotlight, you know. Um, these these one-shots or these preludes, how, how much later were they released? Like, for instance, that Fury one you're talking about, was that released So the or? prelude comic book was released before The Avengers. So it was released oh. in 2012. Four years ago. And yeah. so, see, I, I, I think it'd be a cool idea when they do these big trilogy box sets to include these issues. Because be cool. then you can go back and be like, yeah. okay, watch Iron Man 1, now read one of these, get into Hulk. Like, that would be cool. But, That's a cool idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I collect comics, obviously. Uh, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna chase down all the all the prelude ones. I, I will for Spider Man. You know what I mean. But it would be it would be nice. You know, like I said, if you, in these box sets to get these uh, prelude comics. Yeah, you know? I think that they've gotten to a point now where they're no longer retconning things. Yeah. they're just expanding the story of the background characters. Yeah. If you look at the Doctor Strange prelude comics, it was about Wong, mm-hmm. so it didn't really have any effect on the overall universe. It's about supplementing and expanding. Yeah. So it's for the fans there. You you want more of this character? Sure. But it's not, it has no implications for the movie itself. If you go back to the Guardians prelude books, it explains why Nebula has the metal arm. Right. And and some of her relationship with Gamora and Thanos. Right. So it adds to the characters where these early prelude comics, specifically Fury's Big Week, it was fixing a lot of the missteps in Incredible Hulk. Oh, okay. It was tying up those loose ends. So I think they're a bit different now. And even so, so now, they're they're more just retelling of the movie in comic book form. And then the last issue or so tells you something a little bit different. Like the lead into Captain America Civil War was the new Avengers going to battle somewhere off in the distance and then landing in Lagos. So it gets the characters from point A to point B. Oh, okay. So it has no real implications for the movie. So right. I agree with you. Sometimes it isn't the best way and most people aren't going to go seek those things out. But they were trying to do something with these, trying to fix things, retcon things. And you see this also with the Marvel one-shot, The Consultant, Mm -hmm. because that fixes the end credit sequence Uh, in this as well. Well, you see where I'm going with this? This this kind of sucks. I know we're not talking about DCU, but you see Marvel here is 
fixing problems, you know, basically with these these prelude comics, they answer questions that are like, hey, what happened in that movie? But with the DCU, they did something really cool with um, Man of Steel. They gave us that that comic book about Krypton and Supergirl. I'm like, cool. And she's been there for like 2,000 years on Earth. Yeah. And they never went back to that. So they opened more questions and we're like, well, what's going on? And I kind of feel like that's a missed opportunity there. Yeah. So Marvel's doing it one way and DC's doing it kind of in reverse. The cheeses need to be in the movies, not in the comics. Exactly, yeah. which is, this you, is what the DCU did. Yeah, you can't yeah. answer a question in a movie that was posed in a comic book. You right. can do the opposite, though. Exactly. Two other big things coming out of this lab scene, Dr. Stern's lab scene here, is that we have the induction of a Hulk episode. So we get another shaky CGI scene. With Banner transforming into the Hulk here, and he kind of like transforms, but he looks like Edward Norton as like the Hulk. Yeah, like it's a very weird. Kind of blows up. Like they ran out of money at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's kind of like Spawn, where they yeah. ran out of money. Or at the they end. had a, we had a lot of money to spend on the next sequence. So yeah, I think they probably could have gotten away with having Banner shake, maybe pop the green eyes, the, the veins, and then. I don't know if you need to go full Hulk on this, mm-hmm. um, but it was okay. You never was go fine. full Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> but the big thing that comes out of this is the eventuality of Abomination. So Stern is the one that injects Blonsky that is craving the super soldier serum and creates what he directly refers to in the movie as an abomination. Oh, I thought that was Doomsday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, come on. The CGI has improved since then. A little bit, but it still looks the same. I think Doomsday looks better than Abomination. Yeah, he? he looks a little, just yeah, kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the CGI here for Abomination, I thought was was pretty good. In the comic books, he's a bit more of a reptilian scaly type, at least his yeah. early iterations. Yeah, with the ears. Yeah, and they yeah. made him more humanoid looking. Yes. Kind of more of an equal, an evil looking equal to the Hulk. And yeah. this comes back again to what we talked about in Iron Man, is creating your villain out of the same origin story as your hero. Yeah. And I like this four origin movies. We wasted no time really on developing a villain, an adversary that was an equal to Hulk. I didn't need some alien. I didn't need this or that. This made sense to me. We had been developing this character of Emil Blonsky, this character craving the super soldier serum up until this point. This makes sense to me. This next logical evolution of his character into something that is Hulk-like. Yeah, no, I totally buy it. Um, I think um, the character was very interesting looking. But I never really got like, so he's the soldier and then he gets like the uh, super soldier serum, whatever. He's like super strong and whatnot. Then he gets Banner's blood. Then all of a sudden he wants to like take over the world. Like I never really got that. It kind of seems strange. I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to like bring out the Hulk and like get him to fight the Hulk. But I always thought like his motivation was, you know, I want to be like the best soldier and Hulk's kicked my ass two times now, but it won't be a third time. I I just, I don't know. That kind of like. It kind of seemed like he wanted to be, like, world-dominating. And I thought his, like, motivation would have been a little bit smaller. Yeah, I think it was about of... bringing the Hulk out. Yeah. He yeah. wanted to fight the Hulk. Yeah. He kept saying, give me a real fight. Yeah, round yeah. two, round three, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. His, his terrorism of Harlem there yeah. was about... Toronto. Yeah, it was Toronto. <laughs> Young Street, actually. Yeah, and you could see uh, Sam the Record Man. Yeah. The iconic no Sam way. the Record Man. Yeah. yeah. It was R. all R. shot on, uh, on yeah. Young Street there. It was pretty cool. cool. But yeah, the, the thing with the abomination here that confused me a bit too, and this comes down to the inconsistency with the origin of these gamma beasts, is that he seemed to be much more in control, or at least even embodying the abomination. Like instead of him changing or transforming to the abomination, he seemed to be the abomination. Yes. He was quoting himself, he made reference to Ross a few times. He was very aware of what he was doing. 
and straight up murdering people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Bad bad dude. Does he turn back at the end? Like or does he stay as abomination forever? Well, Hulk laid the smackdown on him, right? He kind of yeah. does the foot stomp and then yells the people's elbow. Yeah. Stone Cold so, Stunner. Yeah. We we can address that a little later on. Okay. Um cuz that that does come up in some of these tie up prelude comic books and all that. Okay. And it even comes up in Agents of Shield as well. Oh. So again, expanding into a different type of media to tie up some of these loose ends in the cinematic universe here. But this is my last pulse check moment. <laughs> I really liked this end fight sequence. It was a smash em up. It's not something that I'm usually into. I like a bit more layering and a bit more complexity to my end fight sequences here. Didn't get a lot of it in Iron Man. And this movie, I felt, if we're going to do it this way, let's just go for it. Yeah. We get Hulk, police car, yeah, punching bags, punching gloves. Yeah. Punching boxes, I said. Yeah. Punching gloves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we get him swinging from a helicopter. We get the Hulk smash. We get the um, the sonic boom or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. Sonic clap. Yeah. yeah. So they really hit on a lot of these points with Hulk. The special points, the comic accurate fighting sequences with Hulk. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun in this end fight. It didn't really materialize too much because I felt the abomination was taken care of pretty quickly. Kind of choked him out and he was done. <laughs> yeah. And he just kind of yeah. threw him aside. Yeah. It yeah. made sense because Hulk's been the Hulk for a while yeah. and this guy's kind of new at it. Yeah. yeah. But you never let the villain go out in the first go. Like, he always got to come back. Like, scream, right? Yeah. Like, the villain always comes back for one last go. <laughs> That's true. Not That's this true. one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. This scene kind of reminded me of a better version of Rocky four the bad rocky when he's training like tommy guns rocky five. oh rocky five, five. Yeah. four is the good one rocky yeah. four is the good one so he this reminds me of, yeah this reminds me of, of rocky five there and a little bit of the luke cage actually yeah. uh spoiler towards the end there but um yeah the, the fight scene was cool i still do prefer the university one more so i agree yeah. um i didn't really like the design of uh, abomination because i feel like the old abomination was like the comic one is so classic mm-hmm. like that he's known for looking kind of green goblin-ish but yeah. bigger um did make sense that his femur in that split. In yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's crazy. But yeah, like you, you called it, man. When you get the um, the car gloves on, like yeah. that's that's all I need in a Hulk movie. So that was cool, and I, I want them to bring back those uh, those car gloves again. Yeah, someday that'd be soon. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I love the fight scene. Um, I just don't know how he didn't die when he jumped out of an airplane and he lands and then he turns into the Hulk. I was like. How is he not dead? Like yeah. that, that bugged me. Like, Just made him angry. Yeah. <laughs> but he's dead. <laughs> like no one can survive that. Like not Captain America, not Iron Man. Like he literally fell from an airplane and landed on the street. <laughs> and he didn't die. Yeah. Does that not baffle you guys? Like, no, again, come on. again, that's classic Hulk stuff. I yeah. mean, he, he just he doesn't die. I've seen this guy go through a yeah. lot of things, <laughs> that, and it that's just awakens d- the Hulk. Definitely, like I said earlier, homage to the way that he dies in the death of Incredible Hulk in the 1990 movie. Oh, that was 1990? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was. goodness. And, yeah. and with Hulk kind of jumping out of the plane, too, I feel that that was a nice end to the banner arc. Yeah. He seems to finally accept his position as the Hulk here and stating that he can maybe aim the thing and do some good. I thought that was a nice conclusion to his story because we really don't get much more dialogue out of Norton going forward here. No, no. You're right. I mean, he does kind of take that Hulk and he kind of tries to channel it. You even see at the end when he, uh, he's in BC there, maybe trying to fight Wolverine, maybe. Uh, And his eyes turn green and he smiles. 
But then I was like, but isn't in the beginning of Avengers, isn't he no longer Hulk? Like, is he trying to hide it again? Like, I didn't get Yeah, he's been hiding. So, so like, is he, did it go wrong? Did something happen? I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen Avengers in a while. Is there a scene there? There's some inconsistencies here, I think. Like, I think the director from, if you go back and watch the making of it and all that, I think he left the scene purposely ambiguous. That it was about, you know, we don't know if he's hulking out or if he's controlling it. It's heavily implied that he's controlling it. And that's somewhat referenced in Avengers when he basically turns and says, you know, I figured this out. I'm always mad. Yeah. And so I think that's what it's implying. But when it comes down to it, it might just be Banner's reluctance to put himself into an environment where the Hulk could come out. So he goes to India I've been to India. You're going to go crazy there. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> That's a good point. There's a lot of traffic. It's noisy. Beautiful country. But it's off the grid. Because he's still technically a fugitive at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's being chased by General Ross. He's being monitored by S.H.I.E.L.D. And they seem to know where he is. But technically, he is still on the run from General Ross. So where do you go as a, as a white man to blend in? India. <laughs> or green man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's more cell phones in India than there are here. I'm just pointing that out. Like, they could just cell phone camera that shit yeah. anytime. <laughs> so the final scene in this movie is what most people mistake as the end credit sequence. Yeah. It's not actually an end credit sequence. No, it's not. It's the only Marvel Cinematic Universe film to not have a mid or end credit sequence. Wow. wow. Steps out of the uh, Marvel box again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it did it on purpose. <laughs> but this is this is a scene that it's a big reference point for the consultant one shot. And it, I think, brings quite a bit of confusion. And I think that's what resulted in a bit of retconning around this scene in particular. But it did serve the purpose of building the universe. We had the very much praised, the very successful Iron Man. And you have Stark showing up at the end here. And I've always really liked this scene with the exception of where I think think it leaves some confusing points but it's jenna ross in a bar with a very green drink again the incredible hulk have you ever yeah. had it no is, is that actual it's thing? an actual drink so it's hennessy and hypnotic you mix the two and it turns bright green it's called the incredible hulk i'm gonna have to try so that he's sipping on those eh? yeah i got yeah. i had that on my 18th birthday and i don't Reload. remember how it ended and then you blacked out you blacked out like the hulk i was 18 yeah. <laughs> um, a very good drink though if you ever have it try it it's really good so there's a nice reference here to the super soldier program being put on ice foreshadowing to cap which is nice and he leans into tony being him leans into general ross and says i hear you have a problem and he says um we're putting a team together and for me there's there's two ways to look at this I look at this one, and maybe I'm optimistically putting on my Marvel glasses here, is that <laughs> this is Feige and company telling everyone that this is happening. We are putting a team together. Right. Because General Ross says, who's we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the first we is Marvel Studios. Right. We're going for this. We're doing it. Yeah. I might be reading into that a bit uh, much. I like oh, this. Okay. I like yeah. where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one iteration. The other is probably the one that they actually meant was that Shields was putting together a team. And the problem is the Hulk. So when you look back at this, and I don't know where I read this, but I think one of the original scripts. So Zach Penn wrote the script for The Incredible Hulk. He also wrote the first script for The Avengers. And I think the Hulk was originally intended to, at least in part, be an antagonist in The Avengers movie. And if you reflect back on Avengers number one from 1963, the Hulk, for a portion of that, is one of the antagonists that bring... Yes, to bring the Avengers together, he's controlled by Loki. So this could have been where they were going initially with 
that script. And being that the same writer for Incredible Hulk wrote the Avengers, he could have been thinking up a plan to seed this further down the line. So Mm -hmm. it kind of lines up there that this end credit sequence was teasing something further in the future that was to be a Hulk villain type thing. And that got changed by Joss Whedon when he came in and retouched up the script for the Avengers kind of at the last minute here mm-hmm. and took the Hulk out of that more antagonistic role. Interesting. Um, so that that's kind of, I think, where that lands. And so they went back. So on the Thor Blu-ray, there is this one shot called The Consultant. And it's a very simple, very short clip. It's Agent Jasper Sitwell, who eventually turns into a Hydra agent. (laughs) And there's Phil Coulson, who becomes somewhat of the glue that holds together the majority of this universe up until his death in Avengers. And so they're at a pancake house, basically. (laughs) And they're conversing there. And they get orders from the World Security Council to put Emil Blonsky onto the Avengers team. So they want the Abomination as part of the Avengers, the Avengers wow. initiative that Fury is starting up. Wow. To get around that, they don't want the Abomination on the team, Fury and Coulson and these guys. So get around that, they send in what they call the Consultant, which is established in Iron Man 2 as being Tony Stark. Right. Remember, they put him as consultant yes. status. Yes. He's yes. onto full Avenger status. That's they right. They send him down to piss him off so oh. that General Ross, who is holding Abomination will not release him to the Avengers Initiative to S.H.I.E.L.D. Wow. See, oh. I, see I wish we knew this. Yeah. That's, that's, they should have put cool. that in the so movie. So that's, yeah. that's how they retcon. It, this is a full retcon. Yeah. I don't think that was the initial intention. Okay, yeah. Um, but they kind of worked their way around that scene to help make it make more sense within the context of the universe and what came out eventually in the Avengers. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, shoot. I never really shoot. thought of that. Yeah, because I know when I saw this in theater, I was like, oh, shoot, and I was bumping my little brother's like arm, like, oh, my God, we're going to get Tony Tony Stark show up, and we're going to get the Hulkbuster in the next one. Because at this time, I'm yeah. thinking we're still going to get Hulk 2. Yeah. And we're going to get, um, yeah, the Hulkbuster against uh, Hulk, because it <laughs> happened in the cartoons, right? But yeah. But this is going far deeper than that. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so it's a nice way to kind of wrap up that last big loose thread. Yeah. Um, And speaking of some of the threads and connections to the wider MCU, I've just gone through here and listed a few just quickly because we're kind of wrapping up and pressing up on time here. Um, Some of the bigger connections to the MCU and how this movie is referenced because a lot of people think that it's, like I said at the start, this misfit that is kind of shoved off to the side. But going through this, I think I've shown that there's been a lot of attempts to bring this movie back into the fold and contextualize it within the MCU itself. Um, So throughout this whole movie, we saw S.H.I.E.L.D. logos, we saw Stark logos, there's references to the Super Soldier Serum. Um, We go into the Avengers itself, and there's a direct reference by Ruffalo's banner to the last time he was in New York, he kind of broke Harlem. Yeah. So that's a reference to the fight with Blonsky. Yeah. We mentioned General Ross showing up in Civil War, and for those of us that have watched Daredevil, oh. if you remember Ben Oldrich's office, he's got a paper in the background that says the Duel of Harlem. Okay, cool, cool. And it's got that's a that. reference to the Incredible Hulk and Abomination yes. fight that we just spoke about. That's nice. Yes. That's the money shot. Nice. Yeah. And lastly <laughs> yeah. here in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., there is a reference to Blonsky's incarceration in a Cairo cell in Alaska. Wow. So it's a shield captive, I'm assuming, by now. Um, So there's a lot more references out there that aren't as well known. And yes, you do have to do a little bit of digging (laughs) and you have to be quite heavily involved in this universe. But this movie 
it may seem like it's on the periphery, but it is really well ingrained, I find. Yeah. Like, I agree that as a standalone, it should be able to tie in on its own. But we have to remember here, we're we're in the early stages here. They're still trying to find their footing, figure out where they are. So I'm going to remind you when you bring up Batman v Superman. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a difference there, though. You're working with established characters, and they're trying to do a lot with Batman v Superman. I, I can give them credit for trying to universe build, but they fell over themselves. You could argue that Batman v Superman, Iron Man 2, very similar, where they tried to build too, too many characters instead of just focusing on just the story. Just a set of film. Yeah. I mean, I think Iron Man 2 would be a good uh, folk or a good reference. Me? Well, we're going to get into that yeah, next month. That's, that's a good uh, segue into the Iron Man 2. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, just a quick question. Do you think we'll see Abomination pop up ever down the road? I don't done? think so. Yeah. I think he's done. He's done? Um, no, he's going to pop up some random thing. Because Thanos is going to need an army of people. Oh, okay. That'd be really cool. I just don't see it. I I see. I I think what's going to happen is they're going to go into his cell and be like, we're building a team of supervillains who we think could do some really good things. (laughs) Abomination. Boom. Boom. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, now let's wrap this up. We've we've had a long conversation here. I've tried to highlight some of this, (laughs) these these important points. I said I was going to be the apologist throughout this review. And I think I really filled that role really well. Um, Let's hear your guys' final thoughts on The Incredible Hulk. So my final thoughts is, I know I seem pretty negative on this film. Um, I find a lot of the uh, nitpicks there because I'm an asshole. But uh, (laughs) in retrospect, it's not like the world's worst film or the world's worst superhero film. It's definitely better than the likes of like the Fantastic Fours and the Ghost Riders. It's falls somewhere in the middle. Like it doesn't touch the upper echelons and it's way better than the lower end. Me personally, if I were to recommend this to the listeners or to people who haven't seen this, I would say I would change the order and actually I would watch Captain America first, learn a little bit more about the super soldier serum, and then I would watch this. So and maybe I would even watch Iron Man two first. Your very own machete order. Yeah. <laughs> Just chop it up, you know. I'm used to that Warner Brothers editing. Um, I would go, yeah, I would go Iron Man, I would go Captain America, and then I would throw this one on. Just so you know a little bit about the Super Soldier Serum and see what it can do. I would still recommend it. It Definitely, if you're an MCU fan, you probably are if you're listening to this. Um, if not, then you're lost, but we appreciate the listen. <laughs> but yeah, I still say watch it. Like, it's not a terrible film. Like, I know I sound negative, but like, it's... As I said, it's way better than like Fantastic Four, but it doesn't touch the Avengers or the Dark Knight. But it's it's somewhere in the middle. It's you know, I, I was being overly critical, but it's not it's not the worst film. That, that's a point we can revisit later on. I think at the end of Phase One is what is the appropriate order to watch these mm. films, and mm-hmm. will they benefit from having the knowledge of another film? Because where these films overlap with each other, specifically Hulk, Iron Man Two, and Thor. You could more or less watch these interchangeably, and you're not missing out on much, with the exception of maybe watching Iron Man 2 before Thor. So you could probably stick Hulk in there somewhere, but you need the Iron Man 2, I think, before Thor. But we can get into that and kind of look back on that once we kind of conclude up Phase 1 here. Cool. Cool. Troy, your final thoughts? Yeah, um, this movie didn't age as well as I thought. You know, I was kind of <laughs> hyping it up before because I really did enjoy this movie coming out of the theaters. But now looking back, it's uh, it's, it's it didn't really do it for me. I, I still don't mind Edward Norton just because I'm going off of like the physicality of the of the character and his portrayal. 
Uh, the CGI was whatever. I did like the design of the Hulk. Like Tim said, there's no humor, but I don't really need the humor. I feel like this movie just works better as just watching some scenes. But as an actual movie, I don't really feel like it's that great. I do like a lot of the retconning that you mentioned, which is which is cool to know now. So, but as a general viewer, I would say pass this one. The MCU's become something so much more, and Ruffalo carries the mantle of, of the new Hulk now pretty well, anyways. So um, I'm looking forward to him in Ragnarok. But I'd say this movie's kind of a pass. Do you think though? Um, you know, if you're trying to learn about the characters in the Avengers, yeah. You know, it tells a little bit more Hulk backstory, and it kind of fleshes out the character a little bit for Avengers. Or do you think it, they change so much that like there's no point? Yeah, I don't think you need to. I think it's it's like Hulk is just such a kind of one note character, at least in the MCU. It's basically, I mean, you, you got Bruce Banner, who's the scientist, which is cool, and it goes hand in hand with Tony Stark, and then you got the Hulk, who's the big weapon, the muscle. It works. I don't really think you need to dive anything more. He doesn't really have a love interest anyways, and that didn't work in this movie. So I think um, going forward, you're good. You don't really need this movie. That's that's just my opinion, though. <laughs> I, and I, and it's crazy because I used to love this movie. but Yeah. Maybe, maybe you should it. go back and rewatch Ang Lee's Hulk, and you'll enjoh that one now. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's why it worked. <laughs> this side of the table, it, it's, it, that's an interesting perspective, Trey. Um, yeah. Whether or not this movie is a pass, do you mm-hmm. need this to fully immerse yourself into the cinematic universe. I'd probably have to align with you Mm -hmm. to a degree in the sense that you probably don't need to watch just to fully appreciate the Hulk that we do have now. But looking back on it, yeah, there's a lot of holes in this. And I'm not a big fan of a lot of the actors in here. (laughs) But the the best piece of it they pulled back out and put into Civil War. And that's General Ross. Yes. Mm -hmm. And his interaction with Emil Blonsky was good. I liked the fight sequences in here. They yes. were fun. They weren't funny, but they were fun <laughs> to be a part of. I felt myself engaged and wanting a little bit more of that. The university scene, I agree, was the best. The CGI held up better than I remember. Okay. So I'm kind of opposite of you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a lot worse than it was. Yeah. But when it comes down to the design of the Hulk, yeah. I like what we have now. now I like yeah. that kind of beefier, somewhat flabbier Hulk. Yeah. I like that almost kind of muscle-bound Hulk rather than this lean, mean fighting machine right, that we yeah. get in this mm-hmm. one. So overall, I would say, yeah, go check this out. But if you were to skip it, it's not going to be the end of the world. It doesn't feed too much into the cinematic universe. Yeah. I think I had more fun with the retconning than I did with the movie itself. Mm, I love the idea of the continuity and how they tried to fix this. And I appreciate what they did there. And even linking up the Stark General Ross scene, I like that building of a universe. I think that this is more of a, a universe building exercise and a little bit of an exercise for Marvel on how not to do things and how to be careful when constructing your universe because every little thing matters. And yes. They spent a lot of time going back and fixing that. <laughs> so all in all, I'd say check this out. It's fun, but it's not a necessary watch for the cinematic universe. And I think this is going to be the only movie I say that to. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> you haven't seen Iron Man 2 in a while, then. <laughs> see, I think... Well, I said Hulk was underrated, but I, I do like Iron Man 2. So do but I. we'll see what yeah, happens when we go and rewatch it. it yeah. yeah, but I did like it a lot more than most people did. So it's been a ton of fun, guys. I absolutely love going back and revisiting the MCU and kind of digging myself into that deep MCU hole. I, I love looking back on the retconning they did and building this cinematic universe. I can really see what they're doing here. And that's what we're trying to do on the podcast here is is highlight how they built this universe up to this juggernaut that it is today. And we're going to be continuing with this retrospective in March 
with a review of Iron Man 2. And you've got a little bit of a tease here <laughs> as to maybe how divisive this movie is going to be on the podcast itself. Again, I've not watched this movie in quite some yeah. time, but amongst the Phase 1 films, this is probably one of the ones I've seen the most. Yeah, I think so. Funny enough. Yeah, that, that uh, race car scene, the yeah. beginning. It's always on TV for some reason. That's probably why I've uh, seen it the yeah. most. So. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on this journey, guys. We're going to, like I said at the start, we're going to be doing 16 months of this. So we're two months down, 14 months to go into Avengers Infinity War. We're continuing to monitor all of the movies, all of the news over at the Nerd Room. That's our flagship podcast that you will find on the same feed that you're listening to right now. So tune in there every Thursday to get your fill of nerd news from around the world. And Sanjay, quickly before you sign <laughs> off here, you have another podcast that you have started up. Why don't you give right. us a little bit of a spiel here about it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I just started this new podcast called The Flying Fox. Woo! You can check me out on Podomatic, I think it's called. I'll tweet out a link. I tweet out a link every time I drop an episode. We do it about twice a month, just discussing everything uh, DC Comics, from comics, movies, video games, merchandise, whatever floats your boat. We'll be there to fill up your dinghy. So uh, make sure you uh, hop on. And, uh, you know, it's just a fun uh, fun podcast talking about DC Comics. So if you love DC and you love Marvel, you know, they make a great companion. They're like ketchup and mustard. They go well together. So there you go. check us out. This is, this is the kind of humor you can expect to uh, see on The Flying Fox. They're very enthusiastic <laughs> DC fanboys. So make sure to go check those guys out. If you'd like to continue to take this journey with us and be part of the retrospective series itself we'd love to hear from you guys you can always grab us at hashtag into the nerd room our twitter handles are at the end of the episode you can always email us at the nerdrm at gmail.com or comment on our facebook or youtube pages all right guys until next month hulk smash <laughs> for the nerd room i'm tim i'm troy i'm sanjay and thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and Troy the Boy 87 Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.